Uh, welcome again, everybody. If you have a Bible, we will be in Matthew chapter 16 today. Feel free to open up a physical copy if you have one. If you have a, one of the study Bibles that we give away, page 1671, that's where we're going to be. And um, we're currently in a six-week journey exploring what our partnership together as a church looks like. So we're asking the question, we're in a series called um, Why Church? Our partnership in the gospel. We're asking ourselves the question, why does church matter? What are we actually doing here when we gather? What are we doing when we serve? What are we doing as a group that identifies as Christians? Um, we're exploring what it means to partner together to, to really, like, the, the mission end goal is to be good news to the whole world, that we would take the mission that God has for the world in partnership with him to let the whole world know. Um, when we start here uh, in our homes, we start in our neighborhoods, and uh, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. So uh, Harbor Churches kind of boiled it down to four commitments that we think describe the core of our partnership together. And um, next week, we'll put these out in the IOA, but here's a little uh, partnership uh, card. Um, we're inviting you to join in partnership together. Um, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard me talk about commitment and why commitment matters. Um, it, this is less like a subscription to Netflix and more like a certain kind of marriage, a certain kind of commitment to each other um, that we would take God's mission seriously. So uh, without having an exhaustive list of like, what does it mean to partner together? Does it mean you're in like a club or you get like certain benefit. No, it's like we're, we're a part of this mission that God has brought to earth through Jesus, and we get to the privilege of growing ourselves to become more like Jesus, but bringing that mission to the rest of the world. So we're going to um, invite you over the next couple weeks, if you feel like you're in to commit to this church together, we want to invite you to um, fill this card out, and you can put it uh, somewhere, we'll tell you where, um, as a way to say that you're in. And I, I do like to say this every time I mention it. Um, if you're the type that really resists things like this, especially in a church context, um, that's okay. Just sign it spiritually, and we will join in mission together, okay? Um, I get it if, if it feels like there's too much inst institutional feel to it, even though we did our best to make this come from the heart. Um, I wouldn't want that to be a barrier for you. So we are on mission together, and I do invite you to take these things seriously. So last week we talked about our first commitment, which I'll read for us. Again, which is saying yes to God, uh, that, and it would be this. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to be my Savior, and I profess my commitment to his lordship over my life. Um, last week we talked about that our starting point together, what unifies us, it's our belief in Jesus. That, that is the starting point for our unity, and that God sent Jesus to save the world. Today we're stepping into the second uh, commitment, partnership commitment, uh, a little bit further, and that one is this. I'll read that to you. Um, it's, it's saying yes to next steps. So it's one thing to just say yes to the idea of Jesus and maybe to give your life to him, but really, what does that look like to live that out? It, it means saying yes to next steps. Uh, I commit to take next steps to become more like Jesus and to help others do the same. So the Bible uses the term discipleship. It's apprenticeship under Jesus. It's getting your feet dusty as we follow after Jesus and as he walks in the desert, um, our teacher, our rabbi. So we believe that simply thinking a certain way about Jesus in our hearts, although that is important, is, is not actually the end game that God has in mind for what it means to be a Christian. It's not just a thing you sign. It's a, a life you live. Um, being a Christian is not just about 
going to heaven when you die, although that's important stuff. Uh, in fact, Jesus seemed to actually emphasize, though, his desire for to see more and more of the heart of heaven come to earth. Like he, he talked about the kingdom of heaven, that we wouldn't just agree Jesus is who he said he was and then just kick our feet up, but that we would join him in his passionate mission to let all people know that he deeply loves and Jesus came to die and resurrect for every person on the planet who places their faith in his name. The first followers of Jesus learned to do that by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So how appropriate is it today that we're talking about next steps? They literally walked in his footsteps. They literally took steps with him. They learned to be like Jesus by walking with him one faithful step at a time. I did an experiment last night because my sermon writing process is entirely strange. Um, I learned that to get from the back door of my house uh, to the back door of this building is 1,642 steps. I counted. I barely kept count. Because once you get to like 600, you're like, what number am I going to again? I did the best I could. So around 600 or 1,642 steps. Uh, and I did that last night at 9 p.m. Um, I walked here, but then I scooted back home. I brought my Razor scooter that I got from Once Upon a Child. Um, it was up in the rafters, and I thought, I need to have that so that I can chase my kids around on it. So this is mine, and it's not yours. You can't touch it. Um, <laughs> but I brought it with me because I figured, you know what? I will get home a lot quicker. Um, don't, don't worry. Uh, I was careful. I know it was dark out. I made sure nobody hit me. Um, I watched where I was going. Um, do you think I'm crazy? A <laughs> half of you did this. Like, I'm not sure. Um, actually, can I just tell you something, guys? I couldn't bring the fishbowl back today because... Darwin decided to go be with his maker. If you were here last week for my fish thing, um, I'm glad you're laughing. I actually feel really bad about it when I came here and he just wasn't moving anymore. His movements up to that point were, let's be honest, a little strange. Um, so I did learn a whole lot about how to not care for a fish. Um, but he served his purpose. <laughs> he sure, sure did. So I don't know if we're going to get a new fish for the attic or not. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just come see me afterwards and I'll explain it. But um, I had a thought, though, on my way home on my little scooter here. Um, I walked here to, to kind of get a feel for what, like, walking looked like. Because so much of the story in the Bible is people walking, and it's people walking with Jesus. And I thought, sometimes, you know, like, that's interesting. I, I could have driven here. I could have done a different math. And I could have scooted both ways. I don't know. Uh, sometimes we want, though, as, as Christians, to, to scoot by, too. We want something that is meant to be walked slowly to have it easier, to get the lowest common denominator, to skip the steps actually needed to become who God wants us to become. As a Christian today, our experience of following Jesus can, can feel a lot like that. Just get me on the thing that's going to get me there the quickest. But what we find is a life that's truly becoming like Jesus is filled with many, many next steps. 
to become more like Jesus, to embody this mission that he has for us, to live like he taught us to live. How many spiritual steps did it take you to get here this morning? Well done for taking them. You are taking steps to follow Jesus just by being here. Let me pray, and then we'll lean into how we can take more next steps with Jesus. Um, Lord, thanks that everybody is here this morning, that you uh, brought them to this room or if they're hanging with us online. Um, I pray that your word will cut through whatever I'm doing up here, uh, whatever I'm saying. Um, I so believe in what you said and what you taught and what you embodied and we do as a group. I, I pray that we'll take these words seriously and that it will shape our minds about how to live and where to go and who to become, that we would really look to you for our model of life and what kinds of steps that we should be taking in this world. And, you know, oftentimes they're very surprising. So I pray that this story, as it's full of surprises, will uh, enlighten us to become more like you. Amen. All right. I'm just going to read one verse to start. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's talking about himself. So he asked them this question. He brought them to this place. I'm going to talk a whole lot about that place. He brought them to this place and asked them a question. That question is the point of this journey. Um, So I want to tell you about that place uh, by once again trying to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. Um, If you were here for our Matthew series a long time ago, I preached a message similar to this about this context, so some of this might be a review for you, but that never hurts. That never hurts to see it from a different angle. So uh, let's imagine you're following Jesus, the great teacher that you chose to drop everything to follow. He's amazed the crowds of people with his teaching. Um, He has outsmarted even the smartest teachers in order to humble their hearts or attempt to humble their hearts with the knowledge uh, of God in the Bible. He's healed the sick. He calmed the seas. He turned water into wine. He's even raised a man from the dead. This is Jesus. He's your teacher. And he says to you, follow me. So you do. And we have stories of some of his his earliest disciples literally dropping their vocational tools, their nets, and walking to follow Jesus. They just started walking. Isn't that crazy? Okay. I mean, they, they had to put more thought into it than it seems when we read it at first look, but they walked with Jesus. They followed him. They learned his way. And so in this story, he takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Let's throw a little map up there. Um, he's coming from an area called Magdala, kind of over there by the bottom of the squiggly line. Um, and he's going all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. So he kind of goes from Magdala to Bethsaida, all the way up um, to that city. And uh, the hometown that Bethsaida, that kind of where dog legs there, um, that's where five of the 12 of his disciples are from. So they're, they're coming from home and they're going up to this place that we're going to talk about. Jesus is taking them. They're, they're going on a walk with Jesus. They walk from Magdala through 
their religious hometown, the thing that's really comfortable to them. Jesus takes them all the way through there, and then they start to walk away from home. You walk for 30, about 35 winding miles. This isn't a straight shot from Porter and Roy's to the back of this building. It's hard terrain. You can't ride your scooter there. You have to walk by foot, by sandal, through the rugged terrain, the winding paths. And as you continue walking with Jesus from your hometown to you don't maybe even know where, you begin to realize something. At some point, you've left the comfort of your hometown. If you've ever like, traveled internationally, you kind of know that feeling. It's, it's the like, layover place where you don't speak the language. It's exciting but really kind of scary if you don't know who to talk to. You come from, from where mom and dad used to live a simple life. They worked on a farm. They made tents for a living. The people that lived in that area as they were leaving, like I said, five out of the ten of these disciples were from Bethsaida, which was a place that had only about 800 people. It was very religious. It was tidy. It was clean. It was safe. You're a disciple from that town, and for 35 miles, you will walk away from everything that's safe. All because you've said... Yes, to Jesus' invitation to follow me. You're literally walking with him, perhaps not knowing where you're going. Until you start to get closer. The longer you walk, the more you notice that things are beginning to become a bit more populated, a little louder, a little busier. You've heard about this place that you think you're going right now. This place, good Jews don't go to this place. Your mom and dad warned you about this place. You don't go to where Jesus is taking you. You can hear the disciples chattering, my parents would kill me if they knew where we were going right now. And so they follow Jesus on foot, 35 miles to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Let me tell you some more specifics about this place. They would have stood at an overlook that looks uh, something like this drawing. Um, Actually, that's what the city looks like. There's not actually a hill over here to see it. You can see it from the side. Um, But this was uh, kind of the cultural center of Caesarea Philippi. It's a city that was known for for the worship of the god of fertility, they believed anyways, uh, named Pan. Um, Pan was an idol who was like a half goat, half man. What's the um, Narnia character, Tomnus? His character is not at all based on that character, but, but think that, right? What are those called? What? Say it louder. Okay, I can't hear you, but yeah, that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, yeah, so, okay. They would, they would do this stuff, and I'll unfold. Are there children in the room? Yes, okay, so we'll unfold what we can. They uh, would begin in the white building on the left side of the screen. That's where a lot of the stuff happened. Pan worshipers would go in there and sit in that building for minutes, hours, days. They would sit and wait there for the spirit of Pan, this idol god, to arrive. They believed that if, if they sat there long enough, that something would change that Pan's spirit would enter them and they would be enlightened. Did this really happen? Uh, Well, they believed it did. Um, And you'll notice that in the back of that building to the left, there is an opening, a cave. 
in the back of that building. And let me show you a picture of kind of what those ruins look like today. This must have been a drone shot. So I've sat in the rocks up to the right there and walked this path. But um, that cave back there that giant, had a giant hole in the bottom of it. And it was discovered in modern days that there was a slow supply of methane gas uh, seeping out uh, slowly over time. So as these worshipers of the god goat pan would unknowingly sniff this gas because the building was in front of it and closing that air in, they would get high. And the spirit of Pan would kind of enter them that way, I suppose. Um, and while they would get high off the methane gas, isn't this fascinating? This is like history. Um, while they would do that, that, that's when the stuff that would really kind of um, distinguish, I guess, this place began to happen. As an act of worship to Pan, they would perform sex rituals with pro- uh, temple prostitutes, um, that would begin with human beings and would end with goats. At times, they would sacrifice young women to their god. They would uh, kill a goat, put it into the spring that came out of there, and if the dead goat's body came out, then that means Pan was like not happy with them, so they'd try to do it again. Um, at times, these things would happen, and their rituals... Uh, there's much more uh, to the rituals, but I think that's probably all I'll say from the stage at this point. But let me tell you a little bit about that cave, a little more about it. So if you zoom into the cave uh, in the next picture, um, I took that picture when I was there uh, last year. Um, like most of the world at the time, uh, the people in this city, Caesarea Philippi, believed that the underworld was a place that was known as Hades. Um, so a whole a cave uh, of which water would come out, uh, they thought, well, that must be the gateway to, like, the underworld. That's why being fishermen was such a scary job, too, because they didn't really know what was down there. So they believed that this was a gateway to Hades. They believed that Pan's spirit lived down there and would come out of the cave and fill them up with his spirit. One more thing, before we read what Jesus said to his disciples as they were looking down on the city, have you ever wondered why Satan is like depicted as kind of a goat character with a trident, um, with horns and ancient arts? Uh, the Bible actually doesn't use that description of the devil. Um, it's more like a snake, yes, a fallen angel, yes. But uh, when we think of Satan in we do often think of this thing with a tail and horns and hooves and stuff. Um, The reason Satan is portrayed as a goat was these first believers, when they would think of the worst possible spiritual being, who they would think of is Pan. Because there could be nothing more evil than that, than one that would require the thing they believe this idol would require. There's more. I'm not comfortable saying it from stage. But Jesus takes them there. He takes them to hell on earth, to them. He takes them there to the house of Pan, to his door. And he says these words. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, while others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, but what do you like what do you guys say? You've been you've been following me for 35 miles. You were willing to walk all of this way. Who do you say that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You, and he's overlooking this scene. He's hearing the noise of this place. He's seeing these practices, these detestable, evil, degrading, oppressive practices. And Simon Peter answered this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's saying, you've you got to be the Savior. You're the one to rescue us from all this. Jesus took them all the way out there just for that question. And Peter gets the answer right. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Remember last week we talked about the, like Jesus entering the fishbowl, the word of God. Okay, sorry, sore subject. Um, but you remember the idea that, that God is speaking. He reveals himself to us when we lean in to hear. And apparently Peter heard correctly. So he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, interesting Hades there, right? They're overlooking the place that they believed was Hades. Even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then, this is always strange to read this if you're not familiar, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah yet. He knew that this news would spread like wildfire, that this hunger that people have for a Savior, for a Redeemer, would spread and his time hadn't come yet. So Jesus took them all the way there to have this interaction with them. 35 winding miles in the desert, in the rock, in unfamiliar places. And since apparently I'm into footsteps now, um, I tried to do a little estimate, like how many footsteps is that actually? I know how many it is from my house to this building, but how many, how many steps might it have been for them? And this is probably way, way off. So this is a very rough estimate. But if they took the same steps at the same frequency that I took from my house to the back of these doors, it would have been like 73,680 steps to get from the comfortable place of home to the spot where they were having this interaction with Jesus. And I've sat there, and this is a rock from that very spot. If you want to touch it, it's just a rock. But it's also kind of cool that Jesus might have, like, stepped on that rock or threw it at his buddy or something. I have no idea. Um, but Jesus took them. The point is, 
He took them from a comfortable place. He took them from their home. 73,000 steps. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Oh, I just make a decision, right? One step. 73,000 steps to have that conversation. Doesn't it feel like sometimes it takes that long to hear what God wants you to hear? Or to get what God wants you to get? Or to go or maybe God wants you to go? Do you ever feel like you're just on a really, really long walk? It's probably because you're following Jesus. And following Jesus is about taking one step after the other, maybe 73,000 of them, and faithfully following his footsteps to go where he wants you to go, to be who he wants you to be. And that's really inspiring to me. Let's, these are real people who followed Jesus. It's inspiring to me that they were willing to follow Jesus that far. I mean, I already described that, right? But that far, especially given that it was a dangerous place to them. It was a place that good people aren't supposed to go. But Jesus took his disciples to a dangerous place to ask them that question, hey, who do you guys think I am? You couldn't have asked us in the synagogue back in Capernaum. We couldn't have just had a nice cup of tea and not heard all this noise behind us. I didn't have to see things I can't unsee. Like, let your imagination go. Jesus brought them to some exposure that was, like, bad. How weird is that? I'm not telling you to go to Vegas and do whatever you want to do right now. Don't twist it. But I'm saying that's just crazy that he, the first mention of the word church is there. It wasn't in a comfortable, clean place. It was in, to their mind, the worst place on earth. There are a few different meanings to what Jesus meant by rock there, what he could have meant by rock that, that his church would be built on. Peter's name literally means Petra, which is a rock like this, this one. So in one sense, he's kind of talking about Peter, this first leader in the church, that you the one who's willing to follow me all the way out here. It's built, it's built on people like you, but it really is on his confession that you are who you say you are, Jesus. You are the Savior, the Messiah that we've been looking for, that the world has been crying for. But in the, yeah, in the deepest sense, it's that Jesus' mission the heart that he has for the good news, the light of the good news of Jesus to go to even the darkest places, even to Hades, even to hell and back. It's on the identity that Peter says Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the disciples' willingness to take next steps with Jesus into the mystery to demonstrate their faith. The first mention of the word church in the New Testament is there. To my knowledge, the furthest away from home they ever were. That direction, anyways. 
This is Caesarea Philippi. This is where Jesus starts. And the disciples had to take next steps, not only to get all the way there, but they also had to take next steps to go home, didn't they? And they didn't have awesome Razor scooters to get themselves out of there. They couldn't make a quick exit. They had to take that information, which was mind-blowing, that Jesus apparently wants us to somehow connect with even these people, with even this part of the world, that his light is for the entire world. His goodness is to be shared with everyone. His church, his spirit, his message, his good news would knock on the doors of Hades down in that cave in order for light to shine. How earthy is Jesus? He was so street. He took the boys to the most dangerous place, the Boy Scouts, <laughs> the most detestable place they knew of, and aimed the love of his mission there and everywhere else like it. He didn't go there to say, we're going to blow this place up. He went there to say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't die but will have eternal life. Jesus came to the world especially for people in places like that. Why am I saying all this in the context of taking next steps with Jesus? Well, I think it makes a lot of sense because actually following Jesus requires you to walk, to trust. And actually following Jesus will probably lead you to some surprising places, both to the world out there and the mysterious world within. Take a walk inside of yourself. So, I mean, Jesus could have flipped that question to them there. Hey, while we're here, who do you guys think you are? Well, I'm someone who's pretty freaked out to be here right now. I'm someone who doesn't know what to do with this information. I'm someone who doesn't know who I am anymore. I'm someone who has let myself down. Maybe I'm someone who says I love Jesus, but I keep screwing up. I'm someone who actually probably is more like someone who lives in that city than the one visiting it. I'm broken. Jesus took them to that place that his message in his church would be especially for people living in those places, even in the grossest conditions. Man, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to take a group of people to hell on earth in order to tell them that I love these people. My church is for everybody. My love should extend with you every step you take in my name to bring that love with you wherever you go. Jesus came to offer a better way, a way back to God for every person in every dark place on earth. So, hey, guess what? If you think that you've strayed too far, think again, because Jesus' starting place was in a pit where people get high to have sex with goats. 
He loves you. That's powerful. But I'm going to say the most obvious thing that you will ever hear. If you want to get somewhere, you have to take steps. If you want to get to who God has created you to be, you have to walk. So what's your next step? I don't know what it is for you. I have no idea. I'm not sure what you've been thinking of as I've been talking. What, what's your next step? And I maybe should have changed the, the language because it's not just a step. 1,642 steps to get here. How many things did you have to say no to to come here this morning? It is a hard path to walk. But there's going to be pain either way, isn't there? You've heard, you've heard the phrase, there's the pain of the change or the pain of staying the same. Jesus offers freedom. He offers life to the fullest and eternal life beyond. We can either choose to stay the same, in the same cycles, or we can say yes to the walk. The beautiful thing is we get to follow Jesus from a place of love, not for a place of love. It's not like you walk behind him so that he'll love you a little bit more with every step. He already does. And the response for us is to get to say, oh man, you love me right where I am, then I, I'll drop my nets. I trust you. Next steps require that we give God space enough to work on us. How long would it have taken to travel 35 miles? A couple of days, probably. That's that little space in between verse here and verse there. It's crazy. There's time in between. You're going to have to slow down. This is me talking to you now. You're going to have to slow down. I have to slow down in order to know what God's next step is for me. Maybe it's time to commit to start reading the Bible and learn these stories yourself and embody them and ask questions and meditate on them and see what God does within you. Maybe it's time to start volunteering in one of the places that you can to build this church up. There's plenty of need for that. Maybe it's time that that addiction or destruction be turned over to Jesus. It doesn't mean that one step is going to get you over it, but one step in the right direction will get you towards it. Maybe it's time to build relationships with other followers of Jesus through the Breaking Bread groups, or maybe it's time to, to stop thinking about it and start doing it. And I'm not saying all this to guilt anybody. I'm just saying this. If you already know what, what God is probably asking you to do, then you need motivation and you probably need accountability. So tell somebody. Tell somebody that you trust. Tell somebody in this room. I feel like God might be pushing me to do this or inviting me to do this. Maybe it's time to take action and to get our sandals on and get ready to get dusty and follow Jesus and stop making excuses and believe him when he says that he can make you brand new. The process of becoming like Jesus actually requires that you just follow him. even if it's scary. Jesus promises, this is why his teachings are so thoughtful all the way around 360. 
He promises that he will, he will be with us every step of the way, that you're never alone because the Holy Spirit is with you. But also, look around you. If we could count the steps it took for all of you to get to this room, I'm sure it would well exceed 73,000. It'd be way more than 1,642. We are a group at different places following the same Jesus, taking steps towards him to become who he has called us to be, wants us to be, the joy within that we get regardless of our circumstances, and so that we can bring light to places like the Caesarea Philippi. Jesus promises that he won't be alone. And as a church, remember this, this partnership commitment, this invitation for all of us today is to commit to take next steps, to become more like Jesus, and to help others to do the same. Let's spur each other on. Let's commit to taking next steps with Jesus together. Let's go to where Jesus went and aim to become like Jesus is. It's an invitation to get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but we have to be willing to not just think about it. We've got to be willing to take some risk. And we'll find that we really do become who we were truly created to be when we trust God with who we are every step of the way.